Chapter 31, Part 3 of Struggles and Triumphs, or Forty Years' Recollections of P.T. Barnum, written by himself. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Struggles and Triumphs of P.T. Barnum, Chapter 31, The Art of Money-Getting, Part 3 persevere when a man is in the right path he must persevere i speak of this because there are some persons who are born tired naturally lazy and possessing no self-reliance and no perseverance but they can cultivate these qualities as davy crockett said this thing remember when i am dead be sure you are right then go ahead it is this go-aheadativeness, this determination not to let the horrors or the blues take possession of you, so as to make you relax your energies in the struggle for independence, which you must cultivate. How many have almost reached the goal of their ambition, but, losing faith in themselves, have relaxed their energies, and the golden prize has been lost forever? It is no doubt often true, as Shakespeare says, there is a tide in the affairs of men which, taken at the flood, leads on to fortune. If you hesitate, some bolder hand will stretch out before you and get the prize. Remember the proverb of Solomon, He becometh poor that dealeth with a slack hand, but the hand of the diligent maketh rich. Perseverance is sometimes but another word for self-reliance. Many persons naturally look on the dark side of life and borrow trouble. They are born so. Then they ask for advice, and they will be governed by one wind and blown by another, and cannot rely upon themselves. Until you get so that you can rely upon yourself, you need not expect to succeed. I have known men personally who have met with pecuniary reverses, and absolutely committed suicide because they thought they could never overcome their misfortune. But I have also known others who have met more serious financial difficulties and have bridged them over by simple perseverance, aided by a firm belief that they were doing justly, and that providence would overcome evil with good. You will see this illustrated in any sphere of life. Take two generals. Both understand military tactics, both educated at West Point, if you please both equally gifted. Yet one, having this principle of perseverance, and the other lacking it, the former will succeed in his profession, while the latter will fail. One may hear the cry, The enemy are coming, and they have got cannon. Got cannon? says the hesitating general. Yes. Then halt every man. He wants time to reflect. His hesitation is his ruin. The enemy passes unmolested or overwhelms him. The general of pluck, perseverance, and self-reliance goes into battle with a will, and amid the clash of arms, the booming of cannon, and the shrieks of the wounded and dying, you will see this man persevering, going on, cutting, and slashing his way through with unwavering determination, and if you are near enough, you will hear him shout, I will fight it out on this line if it takes all summer. Whatever you do, 
do with all your might. Work at it, if necessary, early and late, in season and out of season, not leaving a stone unturned, and never deferring for a single hour that which can be done just as well now. The old proverb is full of truth and meaning. Whatever is worth doing at all is worth doing well. Many a man acquires a fortune by doing his business thoroughly, while his neighbor remains poor for life because he only does half of it. Ambition, energy, industry, perseverance are indispensable requisites for success in business. Fortune always favors the brave, and never helps a man who does not help himself. It won't do to spend your time like Mr. Micawber in waiting for something to turn up. To such men one of two things usually turns up, the poorhouse or the jail, for idleness breeds bad habits, and clothes a man in rags. The poor spendthrift vagabond said to a rich man, I have discovered there is money enough in the world for all of us. If it was equally divided, this must be done, and we shall be happy together. But, was the response, if everybody was like you, it would be spent in two months, and what would you do then? Oh, well, divide again. Keep dividing, of course. I was recently reading in a London paper an account of a like philosophic pauper who was kicked out of a cheap boarding house because he could not pay his bill. But he had a roll of paper sticking out of his coat pocket, which, upon examination, proved to be his plan for paying off the national debt of England without the aid of a penny. People have got to do as Cromwell said, not only trust in providence, but keep the powder dry. Do your part of the work, or you cannot succeed. Mahomet, one night while encamping in the desert, overheard one of his fatigued followers remark, I will loose my camel and trust it to God. No, no, not so, said the prophet. Tie thy camel and trust it to God. Do all you can for yourselves, and then trust to providence, or luck, or whatever you please to call it, for the rest. Depend upon your personal exertions. The eye of the employer is worth more than the hands of a dozen employees. In the nature of things, an agent cannot be so faithful to his employer as to himself. Many who are employers will call to mind instances where the best employees have overlooked important points which could not have escaped their own observation as a proprietor. No man has a right to expect to succeed in life unless he understands his business, and nobody can understand his business thoroughly unless he learns it by personal application and experience. A man may be a manufacturer. He has got to learn the many details of his business personally. He will learn something every day, and he will find he will make mistakes nearly every day. And these very mistakes are helps to him in the way of experience if he but heeds them. He will be like the Yankee tin peddler, who, having been cheated as to quality in the purchase of his merchandise, said, All right, there's a little information to be gained every day. I will never be cheated in that way again. Thus a man buys his experience, and it is the best kind, if not purchased, at too dear a rate. I hold that every man should, like Cuvier, the French naturalist, thoroughly know his business. 
so proficient was he in the study of natural history that you might bring him the bone or even the section of a bone of an animal which he had never described and reasoning from analogy he would be able to draw a picture of the object from which the bone had been taken on one occasion his students attempted to deceive him they rolled one of their number in a cowskin and put him under the professor's table as a new specimen when the philosopher came into the room some of the students asked him what the animal was suddenly the animal said i'm the devil and i'm going to eat you it was but natural that cuvier should desire to classify this creature and examining it intently he said divided hoof graminivorous it cannot be done he knew that an animal with a split hoof must live upon grass and grain or other kind of vegetation and would not be inclined to eat flesh dead or alive so he considered himself perfectly safe the possession of a perfect knowledge of your business is an absolute necessity in order to ensure success among the maxims of the elder rothschild was one an apparent paradox be cautious and bold this seems to be a contradiction in terms but it is not and there is a great wisdom in the maxim it is in fact a condensed statement of what i have already said it is to say you must exercise your caution in laying your plans but be bold in carrying them out a man who is all caution will never dare take hold and be successful and a man who is all boldness is merely reckless and must eventually fail a man may go on change and make fifty or one hundred thousand dollars in speculating in stocks at a single operation but if he has simple boldness without caution it is mere chance and what he gains to-day he will lose to-morrow you must have both the caution and the boldness to ensure success the rothschild have another maxim never have anything to do with an unlucky man or place that is to say never have anything to do with a man or place which never succeeds because although a man may appear to be honest and intelligent yet if he tries this or that thing and always fails it is on account of some fault or infirmity that you may not be able to discover but nevertheless which must exist there is no such thing in the world as luck there never was a man who could go out in the morning and find a purse full of gold in the street to-day and another to-morrow and so on day after day he may do so once in his life but so far as mere luck is concerned he is as liable to lose it as to find it like causes produce like effects if a man adopts the proper methods to be successful luck will not prevent him if he does not succeed there are reasons for it although perhaps he may not be able to see them use the best tools men in engaging employees should be careful to get the best understand you cannot have two good tools to work with and there is no tool you should be so particular about as living tools if you get a good one it is better to keep him than keep changing he learns something every day and you are benefited by the experience he acquires he is worth more to you this year than last and he is the last man to part with provided his habits are good and he continues faithful if as he gets more valuable he demands an exorbitant increase of salary on the supposition that you can't do without him let him go whenever i have such an employee i always discharge him first 
to convince him that his place may be supplied, and second, because he is a good-for-nothing if he thinks he is invaluable and cannot be spared. But I would keep him, if possible, in order to profit from the result of his experience. An important element in an employee is the brain. You can see bills up, hands wanted, but hands are not worth a great deal without heads. Mr. Beecher illustrates this in this wise. An employee offers his services by saying, I have a pair of hands and one of my fingers thinks. That is very good, says the employer. Another man comes along and says, He has two fingers that think. Ah, this is better. But a third calls in and says that all of his fingers and thumbs think. That is better still. Finally, another steps in and says, I have a brain that thinks. I think all over. I am a thinking as well as a working man. You are the man I want, says the delighted employer. Those men who have brains and experience are therefore the most valuable and not to be readily parted with. It is better for them, as well as yourself, to keep them at reasonable advances in their salary from time to time. Don't get above your business. Young men, after they get through business training or apprenticeship, instead of pursuing their avocation and rising in their business, will often lie about doing nothing. They say, I have learned my business, but I am not going to be a hireling. What is the object of learning my trade or profession, unless I establish myself? Have you capital to start with? No, but I am going to have it. How are you going to get it? I will tell you confidentially. I have a wealthy old aunt, and she will die pretty soon. If she does not, I expect to find some rich old man who will lend me a few thousands to give me a start. If I only get the money to start with, I will do well. There is no greater mistake than when a young man believes he will succeed with borrowed money. Why? Because every man's experience coincides with that of Mr. Astor, who said, it was more difficult for him to accumulate his first thousand dollars than all the succeeding millions that made up his colossal fortune. Money is good for nothing unless you know the value of it by experience. Give a boy twenty thousand dollars and put him in business and the chances that he will lose every dollar of it before he is a year older. Like buying a ticket in the lottery and drawing a prize. It is easy come, easy go. He does not know the value of it. Nothing is worth anything unless it costs effort. Without self-denial and economy, patience and perseverance, and commencing with capital which you have not earned, you are not sure to succeed in accumulating. Young men, instead of waiting for dead men's shoes, should be up and doing, for there is no class of persons who are so unaccommodating in regard to dying as these rich old people. And it is fortunate for the expectant heirs that it is so. Nine out of ten of the rich men of our country today started out life as poor boys, with determined wills, industry, perseverance, economy, and good habits. They went on gradually, made their own money, and saved it. And this is the best way to acquire a fortune. Stephen Girard started life as a poor cabin boy and died worth nine million dollars. A. T. Stewart was a poor Irish boy. Now he pays taxes on a million and a half dollars of income per year. John Jacob Astor was a poor farmer boy and died worth twenty millions. Cornelius Vanderbilt 
began life rowing a boat from Staten Island to New York. Now he presents our government with a steamship worth a million of dollars, and he is worth fifty millions. There is no royal road to learning, says the proverb, and I must say it is equally true there is no royal road to wealth. But I think there is a royal road to both. The road to learning is a royal one, the road that enables the student to expand his intellect and add every day to his stock of knowledge until, in pleasant process of intellectual growth, he is able to solve the most profound problems to count the stars, to analyze every atom of the globe, and measure the firmament. This is a regal highway, and it is the only road worth traveling. So in regard to wealth, go on in confidence study the rules, and above all things, study human nature. For the proper study of mankind is man, and you will find that while expanding the intellect and the muscles, your enlarged experience will enable you every day to accumulate more and more principle, which will increase itself by interest and otherwise until you arrive at a state of independence. You will find, as a general thing, that the poor boys get rich, and the rich boys get poor. For instance, a rich man at his decease leaves a large estate to his family. His eldest sons, who have helped him earn his fortune, know by experience the value of money, and they take their inheritance and add to it. The separate portions of the young children are placed at interest, and the little fellows are patted on the head and told a dozen times a day, you are rich, you will never have to work, you can always have whatever you wish, for you were born with the golden spoon in your mouth. The young heir soon finds out what that means. He has the finest dresses and playthings. He is crammed with sugar candies and almost killed with kindness. And he passes from school to school, petted and flattered. He becomes arrogant and self-conceited, abuses his teachers, and carries everything with a high hand. He knows nothing of the real value of money, having never earned any, but he knows all about the golden spoon business. At college, he invites his poor fellow students to his room where he wines and dines them. He is cajoled and caressed and called a glorious good fellow because he is so lavish of his money. He gives his game suppers, drives his fast horses, invites his chums to fiettes and parties, determined to have lots of good times. He spends the night in frolics and debauchery and leads off his companions with the familiar song, We won't go home until morning. He gets them to join him in pulling down signs, taking gates from their hinges and throwing them back into yards and horse-ponds. If the police arrest them, he knocks them down, is taken to the local lockup, and joyfully foots the bills. "'Ah, my boys,' he cries, "'what is the use of being rich if you can't enjoy yourself?' He might more truly say, "'If you can't make a fool of yourself.' But he is fast, hates slow things." and don't see it. Young men loaded down with other people's money are almost always sure to lose all they inherit, and they acquire all sorts of bad habits which, in the majority of cases, ruins them in health, purse, and character. In this country one generation follows another, and the poor of today are the rich in the next generation, or the third. Their experience leads them on, and they become rich, and they leave vast riches to their young children. These children, having been reared in luxury, are inexperienced and get poor. 
and after long experience another generation comes on and gathers up riches again in turn, and thus history repeats itself. And happy is he who by listening to the experience of others avoids the rocks and shoals on which so many have been wrecked. Learn something useful. Every man should make his son or daughter learn some trade or profession, so that in these days of changing fortunes, of being rich today and poor tomorrow, they may have something tangible to fall back upon. This provision might save many persons from misery, who by some unexpected turn of fortune have lost all their means. Let hope predominate, but be not too visionary. Many persons are always kept poor, because they are too visionary. Every project looks to them like certain success, and therefore they keep changing from one business to another, always in hot water, always under the harrow. The plan of counting the chickens before they are hatched is an error of ancient date, but it does not seem to improve by age. Do not scatter your powers. Engage in one kind of business only, and stick to it faithfully until you succeed, or until your experience shows that you should abandon it. A constant hammering on one nail will generally drive it home at last, so that it can be clenched. When a man's undivided attention is centered on one object, his mind will constantly be suggesting improvements of value, which would escape him if his brain was occupied by a dozen different subjects at once. Many a fortune has slipped through a man's fingers because he was engaging in too many occupations at a time. There is good sense in the old caution against having too many irons in the fire at once. End of chapter 31, part 3 Recording by Jared Hind, Springfield, Missouri, 2009